Hi, everybody. Welcome to another version of our podcast, the Bruce Singer Podcast. And I'm Bruce Singer, the host of this podcast. And also, I'm also the CEO of Canada CFOs, Inc., which provides fractional, interim, and also CFOs for boards. And that's what we do. And we're very passionate also about the food industry and natural food. And today I have a really, really interesting guest. Uh, Darren Brash is with me today, and I'm going to tell you a bit about Darren. Actually, Darren has a is a is a finance executive. He has a career in his career is in food and CPG companies like Smuckers, Double Bubble, Kimberly Clark. He's also an avid sailor and traveler. And the reason why he's super interesting, he's also a fractional CFO, and he's and an associate with Canada CFOs. So we're doing something different today. And Daryl's going to share some really cool insights. And uh, and Daryl, welcome to the welcome to the Bruce Singer Podcast Show. Thanks very much for having me on, Bruce. Appreciate it. It's great. So, Darren, share your story. You know, you had this career at Kimberly Clark. I call it the secure paycheck, <laughs> okay, with big CPG companies because it is pretty secure as long as you're good and you work your way. Tell me, share your story and how you got to this point with the fraction. I'm curious. Yeah. Right. So, I went to, uh, to business school, like most um, <clears throat> accountants or CFOs, business people. Um, and my first job happened to be with Kimberly Clark. And I like to think it's because I was good, but it may be because <clears throat> they needed people to go up north and not everybody wanted to go up north. So <clears throat> I started as a cost accountant in the tissue mill in uh, Huntsville, Ontario, and absolutely loved it. Uh, Kimberly Clark was a great company. Uh, like you said, a stable company and at the time, and even to this day, I'm sure, uh, very profitable, extremely well run. Um, and they give amazing training. And they would start their accountants typically as cost accountants in one of the plants. And they really didn't want you on the team if you weren't willing to move. Um, and some of their plants were quite uh, remote, uh, such as the, the pulp mill in northern Ontario, which supplied uh, the New York Times. Uh, so I was with them for five or six years until they relocated back um, to the States. I became a, a plant controller and then a business analyst. Um, and that was my sort of my my initial experience, and it was great. Um, my next ex experience was with Double Bubble. Uh, it had a different name at the time. Uh, it was a small uh, startup company here in, in Toronto, actually in Concord. And uh, they grew when I started with them, they were quite small. Um, and in eight years or so that I was with them, um, they became quite large. Uh, they acquired the Double Bubble brand, uh, I believe it was from Fleer Corp uh, out of bankruptcy. So we had three entrepreneurs that uh, flew to New York and then flew back and said, look what we bought. And uh, so I was involved in uh, mostly on the operations side, operational accounting, uh, but great experience working with three very different entrepreneurs. And so I had the experience of corporate life uh, in a corporation, which runs a certain way. And then uh, the opportunity to work with entrepreneurs who work completely differently. Um, my next uh, foray uh, from, from there was into uh, Smucker Foods of Canada, originally Robin Hood Multifoods, um, was there through the, the purchase and sale and so on and so forth. And I was at the, uh, <clears throat> was at the vice president level uh, with Concord. I was at the director level and I looked after uh, operations accounting and uh, uh, what they called it, uh, 
basically the finance, <clears throat> the finance side, the forecasting side, and the the analysis side, the business analysis side. Um, and then I finished my career really with a, with a company that did bakery mixes. Again, another entrepreneur. <laughs> and so after, um, so I seesawed back and forth, and I got to see, um, I got to see both worlds, and I got to kind of take the best from both worlds. Um, and wow. after about twenty five years of doing this, I thought, you know what. Uh, accounting can be uh, repetitive, as everybody knows, and I really like the challenge of uh, uh, helping companies and not necessarily the same company all day, every day. And so, again, after 25 or so years, I decided I would try this uh, on my own. Uh, the title fractional CFO I actually learned after um, I decided to go that route. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was kind of, kind of a funny story. First, I started calling myself a consultant, and people would say, geez, we've had a terrible experience with consultants. So, okay, so I'm not that. Consultant's uh, so, a bad so, word. So, right, right. So, so now what am I going to be? <laughs> you know, and I say, well, I'm an accountant. They said, well, oh, great. I've been looking for somebody to do my taxes. I said, well, um, then, of course, part-time controllers, which you're very well aware of. And uh, it was, it didn't feel it really captured sort of the strategic element, um, which the CFO um, uh, which goes along with being a CFO. It's not just about the numbers. The numbers need to talk to you. Um, they need to tell you a story. You need to interpret it. Um, you need to be able to convey it and then make decisions based on it. So that's kind of how I got to, to where I am today, Bruce. Interesting, interesting. That's 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 a great story. So so now, yeah, and you were you were a CFO at the at the, a couple of CFO levels before you got to fractional CFO. Yes. Yeah. So so you now have, now you're a fractional CFO. And um, and so, what did, what have you learned being a fractional CFO? Like the times of clients, I guess, share you you go into a company. What's going on? You know. So so it's interesting. Um, it's it's the clients in the, in sort of the category of clients. Um, so what I've learned is that the very big companies that I used to work for don't need fractional CFOs. They have their own resources, or they can yeah. um, you know they've got deep pockets. Um, the smaller companies really can't afford one either um, and don't necessarily need one. It, it's sort of that middle section. Um, that's sort of 10 to 80, 90 million dollar uh, business size. It seems to be what needs help. They go to a certain size. They didn't necessarily have people internally. They might not be ready for a full-time CFO, but things have changed. And so they need sort of an outside perspective. Um, I work exclusively with entrepreneurs. Um, and again, it's been my past experience. And I try to bring some structure uh, that you see in the big companies without sort of killing the entrepreneurial uh, spirit. Good. Um, and we talked a little bit uh, before. There are um, often the companies don't know. They don't know what they, they really need. They don't know what they don't know. Um, but there are some symptoms. So when I go in and, and I talk to them, um, I see things. And after a while, you get to see them pretty quickly. And really, it's all about uh, knowing your numbers and what happens when you don't. And in that segment, um, I think they really struggle. And because they may have a bookkeeper, but they may or may not have a controller. They may have a controller that's a controller in name only. Uh, or they may have a family member, which is quite common in that segment as well, who sort of got thrust into position um, and never really had the, had the training. And um, so that's kind of where... I, I try to come in and help. Um, the first thing I look for when I go in, first I, I listen, um, try to listen more than I talk. Um, and numbers are, are the guide. And so the first thing I look for is 
it's it's boring, but it's important. It's their month end. And does it take two days? Does it take five? Does it take five weeks? Haven't they done it in six months? So you can't know your numbers, right? If you, if you haven't if you haven't closed your books, um, and if you can't close your books, um, in my opinion, in five days, and I've certainly done it with multi-billion-dollar companies, so we can do it with uh, with the smaller companies with some discipline and training. Um, you you're blind. You if you don't close the books, you don't know. And so what I find is then the entrepreneur has to switch. Um, they don't know that this isn't normal. Um, and they try to run the business based on their bank account. So how do I know how well the business is doing and how much money do I have? Um, so what we try to do is, first of all, make sure the numbers are timely and get that process in place. Uh, whatever's broken, we need to fix it, understand it. We need to get the numbers. We need to make sure the numbers are right. Um, again, depending on the, the skill sets of the, the people involved, they might not where to post things correctly. They don't really necessarily understand accruals. Um, the balance sheet is sometimes a scary place when I first walk in. Um, you know, what's this number? What's this amount? I don't know. It's been there for 20 years. Um, so um, it's, it's really about, you know, making sure the numbers are timely and they're right. And then once they're right, um, they need to start talking to you. And by that, it's the reporting which needs to come, which needs to follow. No sense reporting on things that are wrong. No sense reporting on something six months late. Um, but there does need to be some reporting. And what I find quite often um, after working with clients for a little while is um, they'll have one month where they have sales. I'm going to make up a number of a million dollars. <laughs> the next month they'll have sales of a million dollars. And one month they lost a hundred thousand and the next month they made 50. And the entrepreneur is saying, why, what changed? And that's really important because if you can't answer that question, it means that the reporting isn't adequate and we need to do something so that it's not, I think this happened. It's, I know this happened and it takes some of the mystery out of it. It takes some of the fear out of it. Uh, the, the other thing then is uh, another symptom really, again, is, is, is the owner is checking his bank account six times a day because he's not sure or she's not sure. Um, you know, do I have enough money? Can I make the payroll? Um, I know I've got this shipment of something coming in. And really, they're, they're kind of living in real time, but they can't see what's coming. Um, and that is a scary place to be. And I use the example of the GPS map in, in my car. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with that thing. Uh, I'm driving along the road, but I can only see a few miles in front of me, if that, and I have to trust that GPS to tell me the right exit. <clears throat> well, I've actually uh, had experiences, and maybe you have too, um, where I punched in the wrong address or I called up the wrong address. And it started out okay. Um, and all of a sudden, I'm, wherever I'm going doesn't make any sense. The I've GPS was right. It was right. It was taking me to what it thought was the right place. But because I couldn't see the whole map, I didn't realize I was going uh, in the wrong direction. And that's really sort of what this whole um, thing is all about, is making sure that the entrepreneur can see what's coming um, and then really forecast and plan for what's coming. Um, and so those are sort of the, those are the things at kind of a 50,000 foot level. Um, and once those are in place, then we can get into strategic planning. Um, we can get into forecasting. And I've had entrepreneurs that were ready to mortgage their houses. And 
and stop taking their own paychecks and were just afraid. And for good reason, because they had no forward visibility. And really what the reporting and the cash flow planning, all of that good data um, is it allows you to make good decisions and to see what's coming. Um, and sort of the irony, I think, of, of what we do for, for a living is that to a certain point, it's eminently predictable. In other words, if then, if my sales are this much and my costs are that much and they come in at this time, then this will happen. This will be the result. And that's, that's um, not rocket science, but it's pretty powerful. And it's mysterious, I find, too, um, to most entrepreneurs. Interesting. So in, in a nutshell, that's kind of uh, been my experience with, with the clients that I work with, again, all of which are, uh, are entrepreneurs or family-owned businesses. Just curious, what are some of the most common, because you mentioned sales and costs, and what are the most common? By not having, by not doing what needs to be done, let's, let's, I'm just coming from a bigger view. What are some of the, like I see some of the comp, like you said, like mortgages, their homes, things like that, but about the business, what have you seen in terms of costs and margins? Like, what are, like, knowing the numbers that really can really be, I guess, anything of serious nature that can, if you don't, if you, if you go in from a, I guess, an intuitive or feelings based decision, you know? And there's a lot of that. Um, if you don't have hard data, um, then you're really just going with your feeling. And I'll give you an example um, of a company that I started with years ago. Um, and really, it was my first um, uh, my first visit. And the plant manager um, was he called me aside. And sometimes, and I like to be on site. Now, because of COVID, I couldn't be on site. Yeah. Um, and what I miss when I'm not on site is I can't other people. I can't talk to anybody except the person I'm just talking to. Um, I can't hear things. I can't see things. Um, and it's amazing what you get by just being there and being available wow. um, and, and being trusted. And he came to me and he said, they want to increase the price on this item. Uh, and he happened to be a, an ex-salesman. He knew that this... This was a profitable piece of business, uh, but they say it's a pain in the neck and it doesn't make any money. So I said, okay, uh, let's sit down for a minute. And again, we went through the costing on it um, in a way that maybe they weren't used to. Um, and cost is, yes, there's the cost of the product, but there's also the, the costs around the product. You know, if you're into discounts and freight, there's, there's more components than just the bill of materials. Um, and I looked at it and then we did, we multiplied it by the, the volume, of course. Um, and then I went back to the vice president who's a, uh, who then went to the president and I said, I think you're about to make a big mistake. Um, based on what I've seen of your margins and margins by category, this is the single most profitable piece of business you have. This is the most, sorry, the most profitable? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this was a million dollar um, back of a napkin correction. And so that's what can happen when you don't know your numbers. Well, wow. um, the other sort of symptom of not knowing your numbers is a little bit of, uh, I call it mashing together of numbers. So as smaller companies grow, and there's a big difference between a $1 million company and a $10 million company, 10, 50, 50, 100, uh, but the income statement and the balance sheet, they tends to grow and accounts get added um, and they get mushed together. And so a company that may have started with one line of business might have 10 now. And if those 10 are all mashed together into one number, 
then they may be making money and likely are in some losing money on others and they can't make good uh, good strategic decisions. So again, it goes back to getting your numbers right at 50,000 feet and then you work your way down and you get them right um, at, the, uh, at the customer level, um, at the division level, at the country level, at the sales rep level. Um, now you've got really good granular information and wow. you can make good decisions based on it. I mean, you could... And eventually, as you get bigger, the amount of money could be enormous. Could be huge. Could be hundreds could, of thousands of dollars. Could be hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars. And um, it, just it by having, like, yeah, yeah, it's 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 it can easily also be millions. Um, millions, yeah. you know, right? I mean, a ten million dollar company. As the companies grow, um, the mistakes get bigger, and you know you really have to be. Uh, you really have to to be. You really have to know your business. You really have to know your numbers. Um, you have to get away from using your gut, although the gut is still important. Yes. Uh, um, in, in my opinion, in my experience, uh, but you need you need facts, and the entrepreneur needs to to sometimes has to put aside sometimes ego, sometimes what have you, and say, listen, I understand why you want to do this. Um, I understand that this machine will help you in the future and it's $3 million. Um, but if you buy it at this period of time, you're going to be short cash for these other things that you want to do. And again, it just it all goes back to just awareness, um, getting above just sort of the bookkeeping um, and using the numbers um, to make good, good informed decisions. Even more to add something to it. We're also in inflationary times. I would argue that this has been, I've been doing this for over 30 years and I've never seen anything like this. It's sort of a perfect storm of everything. Uh, so first we had COVID, which nobody knew in our lifetime. I don't think since the Spanish flu in our country anyway, um, we've experienced anything like that. And there was fear um, and then just difficulties to run the business. Um, people are sick. Um, people can't communicate the way they used to. It was a very difficult period of time. And just as we're coming out of that, now we have these geopolitical yeah. um, issues, which are wrecking havoc uh, around the world on the supply chain. Um, we have containers we used to be able to ship out of China for uh, $5,000, um, go up to $40,000. And so, you know, and these are... Um, these are all things which need to be managed as best we can. And it's all the more important that you're really on top of, uh, of your numbers. And we're not out of this yet, Bruce. The, the inflationary yeah. uh, impacts that we see are real. They're not going to go away tomorrow. They will go away. Um, the world will find its balance again. But for now, we have to, to deal with it and, you know, and make sure that it doesn't hurt the business. Uh, the other issue that we had along with COVID, of course, was was. <clears throat> The disruptions in the supply chain spiked. Uh, you talk about cost of goods sold. Uh, I mean, by an, an amount I've never seen before, 30, 40%. Wow, wow, wow. Um, you know, it was the fuel surcharges alone cost as much as the freight. So it's almost 100% fuel surcharge. All of those things have to find the way through and there's a lag and that's what's painful for the entrepreneur is I get the expense today, but I can't pass along to my customer for 30 days, 45 days, some will balk. Um, it just creates all kinds of, of headaches. But the need to react in this situation is really quick. Um, 
you know, if you've got three, four percent, two percent inflation, it's actually pretty easy to manage. Uh, once you get into double digits, it's, it's you know, it, it's much harder. You know, you know, Darren, this has been. We can talk for hours about this. You know, there's so many yes. stories. There's stories we can share. Stories I heard stories too. <laughs> like you know, like um, like someone. It's it's a story. A salesman walks in. I just sold a million to a big. To like, I'm not going to mention like a, a big one. You know, I just sold a big right. five million, but when they, when they drilled down, it cost them. It cost them 1.5 million. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this has been very, very insightful, and thank you so much. And, thank you, Bruce, uh, for being for being my guest on the podcast, and um, and it's been super. And again, there's so much more we could talk about, but we keep this short and sweet, and um, and take care. And thanks well, thank again. you very, thank, thank together. you very much, and uh, I hope uh, the listeners found it helpful. And it's a pleasure working together with you. Anyways, likewise, all the best, and uh, we'll see you on the next uh, on the next show. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.